You ready? Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is, excuse me, the John Pacman Podcast. I'm John Pacman. We are at Connecticut Valley School of Music and Dance in Portland, Connecticut, just over the bridge. Go over the bridge if you can. Start looking left, and you'll see us. I'm John Pacman. I am here with special guest, the one, the only, Mr. Matt Starr. Here he is. It's good to be here. I, I've never not been here and not been in the basement. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Spent a lot of time there. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, we should have done that first. So here he is, Matt Starr. Tell us about yourself and or if you can make the connection to Connecticut Valley somehow. So we yeah. Get, get a sense of context. Yeah. So uh, born and raised Connecticut. And okay. uh, I started teaching here. Well, you know, fell in love with Kiss at age eight. Sure. My neighbor, Scott Gobala, had a uh, Kiss record, Kiss Alive 2. I opened it up. I saw fire, smoke, <laughs> sparks, dudes that looked like they were having fun. And I said, that, that looks good. I'll do that. Sure. So uh, guidance counselors and teachers and my parents, and they all had other ideas. And I just said, no, nah, I'm just going to do that. Sure. So I just kind of stuck to it. And then at some point, you got to make some money. Rumor has it. Yeah, that's what they say. So, I got married. That's how I made my money. I don't know about you. But nice. No. So really, we, uh, you know, we started playing in bars, and then uh, I started teaching. And I don't know how. How did I start? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how that happened, but started teaching here. And uh, this is the first place you ever taught. Uh, I had done lessons, you know, like private one-offs here and there. Okay. But yeah, like a formal thing. And so I knew how to read a little bit, but it was great because as long as I was ahead of the students on the reading, I was good. So, yeah, right. So I'd play something. They go, can you write that down? I'm like, well, I don't know. Let me see. Can I? So I'd start to write. Boom, yeah. And, okay, it's a, and that's in between, you know, and uh, did that for many years. If to, Not to interrupt. So wh- where did you learn to read? I took drum lessons from a drummer named Mike Duquette. Okay. Who I have to, I got to look him up because I'm sure he's still here, but uh, it was a great jazz drummer and um, <clears throat> did that for a few months and he was not teaching me Motley Crue songs. So I was uh, frustrated. And so we took the summer off and I taught myself how to play Shout at the Devil and nice. uh, Def Leppard Pyromania. And then I thought, well, this is what I want to do. So I'm just going to keep doing that. So, but I did learn how to read from him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then I just kind of pieced it together. So you didn't take me, uh, no school, no band music in school. No, I was in school band in sixth grade for, uh, I think three weeks. If there's any band teachers out there, please let your drummers give them like 20 minutes to hit everything (laughs) as hard and as loud as they can. Yeah, Just get it over with because they go, this is the bass drum. Okay. So you'll be here and you'll be on the snare. Okay, now we're gonna work on the flutes, <laughs> and so I have we you got these young boys with all this energy with sure. drumsticks. Don't touch anything, and then okay, let's do the drums. Yeah, yeah. Jun, 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 jun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that sounds great. All right, let's go on. So yeah, it, again, just yep. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to play rock and roll. So um, totally. Yeah. So can that, I can I interject with a story? Yeah. So I did the same. I so I played through through the school system. I was in junior high. It was pretty chill. You know, my band director was really cool. And then I went to high school and it's like 
just what you're saying was the, f- the first day of band. I didn't know the band director. There's like risers and we're in the back and the percussionist. And it was like that. I didn't know. We're just back there. I'm just back there. Tippy, 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 you know, playing, playing, making noise. And apparently I guess the teacher was talking, but as I'm playing, I just hear this ruckus, like all kinds of noise. And I look up and he pushed everybody out of the way to get right up to me and go, are you playing when I'm talking? It was so funny. I was like, oh, oh, we're in high school now. Yeah. All you know, that, I was like, all, all oh. That, that's a decent lesson because, you know, when the, Dude. Guy, when the guy in the mic is talking, just don't, don't hit the drums. Right. <laughs> that's so, right. So, you know. No, you're right. No, but I, yeah. So I know that if he had just let me, let us for the first few minutes, right. it would have worked out. But yeah. I think. I think he made his point. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. The James Brown of band. Yeah, yeah. He's just not getting away with anything. No. All right. Anyway, so. Yeah, so then I uh, taught here for a few years. And then uh, I, when I, I think it was when I moved to California. And I, you know, you and I had been That's right. up to all kinds of stuff, mostly yep. at night. Yep. And then, uh, and then you took over. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I got started here. I'm the drum teacher here at the school. Matt was formerly. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it all happened. Yep. Yep. And I bought my first guitar here. Oh. An Epiphone Riviera. Oh, that's cool. Black. It's like a semi-hollow body. I still have it. When did you, um, how did you get from drums to guitar? When did that happen? <clears throat> that happened, I was probably about 21, 22. And, uh, you know, you learn an A chord at 15 and then the, they try, and your guitar player tries to show you a G and you kind of fake it and... So I said, you know, let me let me just mess around with this. Yeah. And I I I learned like I learned a cheap trick song. I think I learned hello there. Sure. You know, and then I said, Oh, okay, I can I could do this. I can do this. And I and I started writing songs and then that turned into a band called The Flames. Yep. You know, and then yep. and we did uh you know, we played around Hartford, and then we started going into New York, played CBGBs a bunch, started, you know, doing, like, Ramones-related events, and these people mm-hmm. like Bob Gruen and Danny Fields and Arturo Vega and all these these people that I had heard of, you know, they started yeah, yeah. hanging around, and so we were part of that scene for a while and uh, had a demo deal with Atlantic, and uh, it never went past that, but that was that was the kind of trajectory of, of that band. But it was good. It was cool to, you know, being a a big fish in a small pond is, is, is a good, is a good way to get going. Yeah. And the Hartford advocate was really supportive. Mike Marciano used yep. to write about us and oh, yeah. you know, come see us and yeah. India blue. Yeah. Yep. 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 I remember we, <laughs> I think I won like best front man or singer or something. Sure. And I show up with these platform shoes and leather pants with stars on the side and yeah. <clears throat> this feathered kind of yeah, Stanley esque thing. And I walked in and she just smiled and she goes, all right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. 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 She was cool. Photographer. Right. Did she write too? I, I, she did do some writing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because someone actually had posted a review that she had written about us and toxic field mice, which was yep. uh, another band from, uh, from Rocky Hill actually. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Mike Tornio, Mike Bay was the drummer. I don't remember the other guys in the band, but they were kind of like a, like a hardcore band. Sure. That's cool. She passed. She died. She did. In back, way back when, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the kind of the days in a way around here, I suppose. The Advocate doesn't exist anymore. No. Hartford Advocate. It was kind of a scene. There was. Yeah. Around. It was uh, Goodnight Hartford. 
Bar with no name. Yep. Velvet. And then there was a studio called Planet of Sound, yep. which is on top, I think it was on top of the brickyard. Yep. <clears throat> yep. And Miles. That, yeah, Miles. And um Miles and he's I who is he with right now? But he was out Pixies. with the Pixies. And yep. yeah, I mean he's you know, and then Dead jo- can dance. And then Joe Sanborn, who ended yep. up that's right. Going over to Telefunk and now Joe's out in LA. He's making records, making pedals. And so uh so yeah, there was there was a community and then WCCC was really supportive yep. of the local band. So like Mike Caroli and they, they were spinning our records. And then, uh, you know, Joe town, which yep. is in Wallingford, Joe yep. Delaney, friend of ours, where we kind of, yeah, that's where we, yeah, we, that's we where got, that we got going there. We got into our, our minutia that we <laughs> talk about still. extensively. Yeah. Yep. We're just still talking about the same things, but you know, Joe had a studio and the greatest gift I kind of anyone ever gave me was he just said, okay, you can come in here, pay the engineer, and just make a record. I yep. didn't know yep. what any of the gear did. I asked a thousand questions. took me like two years to understand what a mm-hmm. compressor actually did mm-hmm. other than make things sound cool. And so we made a record there. So like Joe was making records. It was Gargantua Soul. Uh, yep. Joe. Um, I can't remember. There was, there was Yeah, a, there was a few more. Eddie was a singer from one band. It was great. Yeah. And uh, But yeah, they're so like, you know, that was sort of the record label. Yep. And then there were the gigs around town. Toads, mm-hmm. New Haven was great because you could open for national acts. Um, we played the Smithereens and sure. Joan Jett and a bunch of bands like that in the Webster Theater in Hartford was another one. And yeah. So that's, you know, that's, those are kind of all the ingredients. And then mm-hmm. you had Marciano who was cool and he understood mm-hmm. rock and roll. So you yep. had support. Yep. That's kind of the formula. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the days, I guess. <clears throat> we sound like old guys, but that was how it was done. Yeah. That we did it. Yeah. Did something. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, Joe Town <clears throat> back in the day. Of course, this is still two inch tape, right? Yeah. Yeah. Trident be be console. <clears throat> we're lucky. Now that you th- we think back, you go, we're lucky that we got to do that. Oh yeah. Around here. And and I think that, you know, to get in the studio is one thing, but then to have the access to go in there again and again and again and learn, Yep. you know, cause there was no, actually, you know, I remember doing vocal takes <clears> and I'd <throat> sing something and go, that note was flat. And okay. It's, eh, okay. Eh, and I'd sing it. No, flat, flat, flat. You learn, you know, you got, you have to one out of embarrassment. Yeah. You know, you just want to make sure you got it together. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have at that point, I had a little studio set up at home. So I would do my vocals at home. Mm-hmm. using a a foot punching pedal. So all you hear if you so- solo the vocals is just like yeah, the foot everything punch in every line forever. Spend all night trying to yeah, get it together. And then of course in po- nowadays I'd be like, well I'd have to go in pro tools and edit out all the right. pedal sounds, but they're right. all in there. And then you keep making records and you realize it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't know, matter. The clicks and the squeaks and the yeah, right, right. The, the the change in the pocket jingling, it's yeah. it's all good. Once, <clears> once you put a once you put a Marshall in there, you're not going to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. So then what? So you're here. You're teaching. You got the flames. Yep, yep. And uh, and then uh, the like the last incarnation of the flames, a guitar player named Alex Grossi. I found an ad <clears throat> that he had in the paper, and I called him. And he goes, yeah, you know, um, I'm looking for a band. I was in this band called Angry Salad. We we're on Atlantic. So I was like, okay, he had, okay, a, yeah. he had, a, he had a record deal. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> so he goes, uh, well, you know, where should we meet? And he goes, uh, you know the Electric Blue? 
<laughs> which is a strip bar. I think exit 68. I sure. Oh, well, I said Kahoot. Let's let, let's not act like we don't know where it is. Yeah. Stop pretending. Yeah. So right next to the subway. So <laughs> we said, I said Kahoot, which is in Hartford, but he lived up in Vernon. So he goes, how about electric blue? I just got my VIP card there. I go, oh, right, perfect. Cool. Yeah. So he goes, I'll be over at the pool table. <clears throat> I look like Joe Perry. So I was like, all right, I think this is going to probably work out. That's funny. So, so we did about a year together and Alex was great because he, he was like, he was really like the only other guy I'd met who was like driven as me, Yeah, you know, and we would just sit around and just come up with ideas. Yeah. And then the next day we'd wake up and like put him into action. So we created this guy, Mike Waters. So Mike Waters was, was our manager. So I was Mike. Kind of like John Barron, Donald Trump's spokesperson. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. And a fictional person. So he would be like, uh, Hey, you, I'm going to be out, but you got to call this club at four. And uh, Mike, last time we talked, Mike said, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then it's like, and then, <laughs> so there great. you go. That's how you get things done. That, that is how you do. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's funny. And this guy just never existed. Never existed. And Alex just texted me. I can't remember what he did. That's great. So he got, he, I got to try that. It's it, well, it's, it's good. It's, it's mind blowing because I would call and, and rather like Kaiser Soze. Yeah, like, well, rather than going, you just like, missed him. He was just here. Yeah, I know. Jeez, I go. Yeah, just well, because we had to have to do that. We would go, you know, uh, get to the venue, and I talk to this club owner, and I go, "Hey, how you doing? I'm Matt." And he go, "Hi, I'm Dave." And I go, "Oh, right. We have a relationship, but you don't know it's me." So I know this guy. I'm like, "Hey, you know, right, right, right." Continuing huh. our yeah. conversation, right? And you forget, you know. Like, yeah, you know. but I also realized that they would talk differently when you, they thought you were a manager. Oh, so Mike nice. was. So you're like going undercover, kind of in a way. Yeah, I didn't realize that, but so my voice is, "Hey, it's Matt Starr. How are you?" Listen, so, but Mike is like every agent I had talked to at that point. Hey, hey, Matt. So what's going on? Well, I got you know, I got uh, Joan Jett is looking for an opener. Is that something you guys would be interested in? Oh yeah, that'd be great. Okay, yeah. Um, why don't you send some stuff over and, and I'll get back to you. Okay, I got to take this call. I'll talk to you later. Bye. So I would take that kind of tone and you just get more stuff done. Because you weren't really trying to sell it. You were just like, yeah, I got this band. I, I think they'd be a good fit. Wow. And so I realized that that difference, you know, it's a different different level. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Far out. Mike Waters still getting it done. Mike Waters. Is he still getting things done or he, no, he, is Alex, he retired? No, no. Alex texted me uh, <laughs> like a week ago and he goes, I, I just. Let me talk to Mike. He did some deal and he goes, Mike, he goes, and I was Mike Waters still. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. You, you know, you realize you just blew it now. This is it. It's over. There's no Mike Waters. for Mike. Well, know. he's got a brother, Mark. So. Oh, okay. And he's real. Yeah. Mark, he's a real Mark person. is real. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Cool. So. Mike Waters is getting things done. Alex is in the flames. Yeah, and then Alex said, I'm going to move to L.A. And I said, okay. And I knew I was going to either go to New York or L.A., but he left first. And Didn't you – can we back up? Yeah. You did what many people did. You went to L.A. earlier. At, at like 21. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't understand how to, how to kind of do things. I didn't really sure. – I still don't get so, along yeah. with people. I mean, I was still don't. not getting along, but I, I would, I just had a different attitude. So I, I couldn't really figure it out, you know? So you so, went out there like, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to make something. Did you go out with a band? 
No, uh, my uh, Danny Formica. Okay, friend, yeah. Great Danny. singer. Yep. And um, so he was out there already. So I went okay. out there. I hung with him. And then... Was Joe Dell... You guys all went. I never went. I think Joe was already there. Yeah. Another uh, for Joe Town. That's yeah, our friend. Yeah. And uh, and he had been there for a, a while. Okay. From what I remember. So Joe might have been the first out of the crew? Either, yeah, either. And then Danny? Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, did that year... Couldn't kind of figure it out. Came back here. Okay. And then just uh, started doing bar gigs. Didn't you, Ed Macenti teaches here. We I interviewed him a few back. Yeah. He was out there. You had history with him. He's not here today, but. Yeah, so so Ed and, and Val uh, had a band called Saddle Tramp. And okay. uh, Kenji Oto was the guitar player. Kenji now plays with Ravi Shankar's daughter. Oh. He's like the, you know, right to her left playing sitar and um they gave me a cassette they sent me a cassette they said hey listen to this stuff and it was um did you know ed from back here or not at all no i well no so they so val and ed had a band i don't know what it was called but it was a glam thing and it ended up being sequin rouge which which danny ended up joining oh wow but we went to uh john stone drummer and my mike dude i was a bass player mike plays the wasp now sure so they had photos. They had already done a photo shoot. They had a name. They had a logo. Yeah. They had like a couple demos, but it was it was so worked out. Yeah, right. And I was like, why? And Val had been around. He was he was kind of a David Lee Roth type front man, and so that was a real eye opener to me. Right. You know, of the organization that went on when you went right, to right. see them play, you just thought they were crazy. But Did they have a Mike Waters? Maybe. I don't know who they had. Yeah, they may. Yeah. It might have been Val's girlfriend actually. That was, yeah, right. Was taking care of all that. Michelle stuff. Waters. Yes. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, so, you know, that, that thing, uh, oh, but, you know, so Ed sent this, so they sent me this cassette and it had, uh, uh, good morning, little school girl, Johnny winter live, yep. humble pie, free grand funk Nazareth. And I knew the names, but I didn't really know the music. And so that, that, that remains to, <clears throat> that's like my favorite era, which is like 71, 72, Rock and coming out of the '60s, but yep. getting into that bigger rock and roll sound. Okay, I love that stuff, and the guys can really play the rhythm sections. Yeah, all great, you know. So, so yeah, we did that for uh, as long as I was there, which was for okay. about a year. Okay, yep. And then you came back, and then then I came back, and then I was here for a while, and you know, and then you know, fast forward, we get to the Flames, and then so Alex is out there. He was playing with this band called Ignite, which is a hardcore band. So they would, you know, they would headline these festivals in Europe and stuff, and. And they did this side project. They had written a song, ended up in a video game. Oh. And so Fred Durst from uh, Limp Bizkit's yep. playing this game, and here's this song, and goes, I, who's this band? I got wow. it. So he had his guy, Danny Wimmer, they, I think Wind Up Records, and they tracked Do you know for, f- sorry, do you know for, f- I have to get off this, do you know for a fact that Danny Wimmer was a real person? Yes. Or did you get? F- no, you, we, I okay, met him. Okay, because yes. maybe you got he, flim flim. Yeah, okay, go no, ahead. No, he, he existed. All right, all right, and sorry. so- they called Brett and said, hey, is this a band? And Alex was there on the phone with him. And Brett's like, uh, Dan, and Alex goes, yes. Because Brett was like, it's not really. Alex goes, no, it's a band. Sure. Yeah, what do you need? And so they started working with Rick Rubin. And Alex called me and goes, look, I, there's a gig here. Like the drummer's probably not going to work out. You got So that got me out there. So I started playing with them and did that for, for um, probably about six months. And then I, you know, I lived in uh, Orange County and Costa Mesa, Huntington Beach, which, okay. was, which was cool. It's, it's a definite... Like, I didn't think you could wear black socks. I thought the only person that wore black socks with shorts was my dad. Oh. 
but you had all these dudes with yeah, the black, yeah. sh- black socks, vans, you know, the, the chinos that cut yeah. off at the knee, black spiked hair and sure. wrap around the shades. Huntington beach. Yeah. 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 So that was my introduction. We kept driving up to uh, Hollywood every night mm-hmm. and then driving back in a state that we should not have been driving back in. And so I said, you know, I think we should probably, you know, move to Hollywood so we don't have to drive so much. And, um, so then we moved to Hollywood. Wow. Yeah. You and Alec, who, like, a bunch of people? Yeah. So I, I went out there with my, at the time, like, my girlfriend, who we had kind of dated on and off for a few months. And then uh, she's like, I'm going to stay for, like, a couple weeks and go back. I was like, all right, cool. And then a couple weeks would come up. I go, hey, I got a show at the Viper Room in another week. You should stay for another week. And she go, oh, okay. Right. Next thing you know. And then, you know, 18 years later, two kids and. Whoa. Yeah, we're a family. That happens. It does. Did you, at what point, I've never done that. At what point do you say, well, we're here? Or are you still like, oh, well, you know, I'm here until. Like, do you ever feel like, is there like a point where you're like, okay, we now live in California? Or do you still feel like, well, I'm just here until this thing is over no i was pretty clear that time that like i had done all i could do in connecticut Mm -hmm. you know and uh my my challenge was just finding guys that were were as 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 committed and as good you know because there's a small pool of guys and it's like i i knew them all you know it's you and joe and you know the guys i was playing with right is it a bigger (laughs) more people a bigger pool out there i would imagine right bigger pool and better more people um you know, not as much, not as, as much consistent talent as you would think, mm. <clears throat> but that was fine. Cause I, I, I knew, I knew how to do what I had to do, Sure, you know? Um, but yeah, there's just a lot more people and there's something about California, you know, it's, it's all the best looking, most ambitious, most talented, most crazy, biggest dreamers. They leave their town wherever they grew up and they go to New York or they go to sure. LA and they're there. So there's that energy, just anything's yeah. possible. And I've seen so many, um, you know, fairy tales and there's all kinds of, you know, tragedy too, but just anything is possible. And that energy is, yeah, really, right. is really literally. Cool. Yeah. 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 Huh. Yeah. That's cool. Well, you know, I've only been there once. I went to, came out to see you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Yeah. It's got that. And which I think for some people might be, you know, either like kind of overwhelming or intimidating or just too much. You know, but I, I liked it. I liked, I, there were these three guys I would see. They were <clears throat> three brothers. They were from Europe somewhere. Long blonde hair, like halfway down their backs. They all looked, they were twins. They all looked the same. They'd wear their, they'd have their rocking jeans and their hair was done up. And they were, this was probably like eight years ago, totally eighties, but they'd be walking the strip. And I just go, yeah, man, like live your dream. Yeah. Right. Doing it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't spend enough. I get, I used to, well, now I have a, a workable relationship with New York City, but I used to feel that I begin be intimidated by New York City because it was just too much. Yeah, and I was like, "How do you distinguish yourself at all?" I didn't spend enough time in in L.A., but when I was there, I was just like, "Oh, this is like more like what I would recognize as home." Like New York City, it's such a different experience in what we're talking about, but just even architectural, it's just. There's so it's so intense and so much going on. Right, I would get distracted by the whole how different the living was. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't figure. I don't out think New I York. could ever. Nah, it's not not my thing. I never. I don't think I could have 
made it there, as they say. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think it's true. Yeah, you make it there, you make it anywhere. Yeah, I think New York is like, there's a deli, and there's another door that's an apartment, and then, oh, that's the club. Yeah. You know, in L.A., you got the strip. Right. It's more spread out. Right. And it's kind of easier to identify. And I and and it's more, to me, it was a more of a welcoming vibe. Like, I, I'm cool in New York now. I'm fine. But, yeah, sure. Yeah, but, me too, finally. Yeah, yeah but it, it definitely was like, it was just more welcoming. It seemed easier to navigate. Yeah, I remember, um, like, New York City, it costs you money to get there. It costs you money to be there. It co- If you have to drive, which I often did, it just money to park money money then when i visited you i went to the package store you're like yeah go there's a package store to you know up you know a few blocks up i like drove and like parked they had a parking lot and i parked there and went in yeah i was just like but this is hollywood like you're used to new york city it's like you can't access anything right without cash like you're just you're not getting in there and hollywood i was like wow i'm in hollywood and i can just park my car here and nobody cares it's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's the, the, the two cities are very different. New York, you got to surrender your driver's license, right, and get a messenger bag, and you know, right. And hope you got it all there. That's, I mean, that's how kick drums went from yeah, right, twenty six to twenty because they couldn't fit them in a cab, right? You know exactly. What I mean? So it's like that's that's a necessity. You need a twenty six inch cab. Yeah. Why didn't they do that? They weren't they weren't making them then. That's funny. Yeah. So you're out. So you're out there, and. And, uh, you know, sang more, still okay. wanted to do that, uh, put a band together called the Automatic Music Explosion, right. which yep. I, um, you know, I had this vision of like, I got into, there was a thread to me that was consistent through, you know, Little Richard, Cheap Trick, Joan Jett, the Ramones, Kiss, Motley Crue had a touch of it. Even in Nirvana had a touch of it, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then when I discovered Bubblegum, I had this band I was producing. There, tw- I see. They were twenty, Dead Legend from Connecticut, and uh, they said, "You ever hear that song, Yummy Yummy?" And I said, "No." And they played it, and they thought it was funny. But I was like, "This is awesome," you know. I see. Just super repetitive, lots of hooks, and I it was great. So I got into that, and the Archies, and and the Trogs were in that for me, even though they weren't Bubblegum. Huh. But that whole thing in the suite. And so, and the knack had that thread too. Yep. So that was like this really inspiring thing. So I said, I want to do a modern version of that. I want to have a girl in the band. Yeah, right. You know, and have just a cast of characters, real colorful, fun, yeah. loud, Yeah. you know, kind of that kiss, get kiss thing, but right. a little more like uh, high schoolish. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we did that and it came time. We had done a demo. I did that myself. And then, we had a, um, we, you know, we need to do a record. And I thought, well, who, who are we going to get to produce this? And I was looking at all my records and I knew Mike Chapman had produced, you know, get the knack parallel lines, the suite, you know, and just, and there were songs like for me, like exile, I had a song called kiss you all over. I used to hear that on the radio. Oh, he, that's right. I don't know if he wrote that or was involved with it, but, uh, he wrote, Hey, right. hey Mickey, the Tony Basil oh, song. Right. Right. So, Hot Which Chapman. is basically what you're trying to do. Hey, Mickey, but a band. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Yeah. That, so, so I knew. Mike I did. Chapman. I forgot he produced that. That's yeah. awesome. So Mike Chapman, the producer, and then in the suite and Susie Quattro had this, wow. these writers chin chap. Yep. Right. And when I connected the dots that chap was Chapman and I go, 
Oh, I already, yeah, you're like, I get, I already. So the guy wrote Ballroom Blitz and produced my Sharona? I'm like, that's mm, the guy. You know what? Might be time for a podcast. Yeah. Or my little mixes I make. Yeah. Mike Chapman. Yeah. You're right, right? Yeah. I never realized that. Yeah, the legacy is that thread. huge. That thread. Yeah. So that ties Blondie together with the suite. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. So... I started looking for him, but he hadn't worked in many years and a lot of Googling. I, I knew facts about his family, I knew his wife's <laughs> name. His wife had bought a horse. I knew all this stuff, all these public records and everything. Sure. I couldn't find the guy. When I finally figured it out, he was living in Easton, Connecticut, which is where my dad grew up. Right. Right. So See, there we me, go. Brings me back to Connecticut. So yeah, I remember that. I, uh, my drummer who lived in LA goes, well, there was an issue of BAM, which was like the, the music mag out there. Oh, okay. You know? Yep. And he did a photo shoot dressed up as general Patton. So, so Max got a copy of this. So I, I took a, I went to the Kinko's cop photocopied, cut him out and, and had it photocopied onto the envelope. So I sent him an envelope with a bunch of stars across the top and a th little picture of him. I sent it to his address. A month later, I sent him another one. Wow. And then the third month I came back here and uh, my, my grandmother uh, was getting uh, not sick, but she, my mom was like, you, you should come back. Yeah. Right, right. Right. So I was going to go visit my grandmother and then she wasn't going to be back for a little while. And I thought, wait a second, Chapman's down. And I was so focused on seeing my grandma. I said, this, I'm like 10 minutes away from this guy's house. So I called my wife. I said, Hey, what's the address in my, in my, in my computer? And so I thought, well, this will be cool because it's Southern Connecticut. So they're nice houses, but it's not like there's gates in front of them. Okay. Yeah. So I find the address. I drive up a driveway and there's a gate. So Oops. I buzz the buzz buzzer and a woman says, I'm the dude that's sending the things. Yeah. And I buzz the buzzer and, and a woman says, hello. And I said, yeah, uh, this is Matt Starr. I'm here to see Mike Chapman. She goes, there's a pause. She goes, who? I was like, oh, um, I said, Matt Starr, I sent him a, 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 a demo, and she wow. goes, and then the, the gate just opened up. Wow. So I drive up the driveway, and his his wife, uh, Zan, comes out, and she goes, hey, uh, she goes, he's not here right now, but um, did you did you have some band? You know, she, he just gave me this thing to listen to last night. I think it was your band. It had a picture of him on the front. I go, yeah, yeah. Timing. She goes, yeah, that was cool. She goes, he just took our son for his driving test. Can you come back in an hour? I he said, was. I said, yep, I'll be back. So he was checking it out. Yeah. I wonder if he would have, did you ever ask him? Was he going to contact you? I don't know. I don't know. I never, I never asked hmm. him, you know. That's but, interesting. But I, I contacted him. So it was just the timing. Timing. Wow. Yeah. So I went back and uh, we went down in studio. Just a super gracious, cool dude. Pat Benatar. Yep. Also, yep. right? He was involved with. Yep. Yep. He put his band together. That. He had asked uh, Rick. He went to see Pat perform and she was married to some guy. Last name is Benatar. She was like, a okay. And I forgot the, the record company guy, but he had sent Mike down and said, hey, check out this, this singer. And Mike goes, you know, she's, she's good, but I can't, this is like cabaret music, mm -hmm. you know? And they said, no, she's going to do a rock thing. And anyway, so, uh, Mike got asked to put the band together. So he reached out to Rick Derringer. He goes, you know, I'm looking for a guitar player. And Rick's kind of, you know, was giving lessons and his, his buddy was Neil Gerardo. 
Wow. So that's, that's how that all, and then Myron Grombacher, who's yeah. like, you know, that's crazy. one of the greatest ever. Wow. So anyway, yeah. So we, uh, we had a chat and, um, we, we drank, we drank some tequila, which I had, I had had tequila before and I, I didn't like it. it this was like so good. It was, oh. it was the smoothest thing. Mike ever Chapman seen. level. Tequila. Yeah. yeah real yeah. good. Not, uh, electric blue tequila. Like no. this is a different. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so he goes, all right, well, he goes, you know, this sounds really interesting. And uh, he goes, I want to come see you guys play. And like, I think, I don't know, two weeks later, he flew to L.A., saw us play. Wow. And then uh, flew us out there. We did a record. That was like some of the greatest experience of my life. Mm. Again on tape. Yep. Played, played live. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. So, you know, that, all that. And then, you know, you get to a point and it's like, it just didn't go anymore. Yeah, yeah. You sure. know, so that's when I decided to go back to drumming. I got to a point where I just said, you know, I want to be successful and I want to be working with people sure. who are who are who are better than me. Which you know, someone like Chapman is clearly right. But being around him, I realized there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. I, I need to stop running everything. I just I want to get I, I want to get in something that's already someone else is running it. Right. Cause I don't know how to do that. I know how to do what I can do, Interesting. but I can get a certain point, but then I can't get it past. This happened to me three times. So, um, Oh wow. I said, what's the best thing I do? I go, well, I think it's drums. Cool. So we re revisited that. And then, uh, you know, just, uh, again, playing bar gigs, realizing I didn't want to do bar gigs. And yep. I found myself, we'd, <laughs> we'd started this band called Naga Hyde cause tribute bands were a thing. Yeah. So we said, well, you know, there was a band called Metal Shop, which turned into Metal School, which turned into Steel Panther. Oh, okay. Okay, so, and, and originally they were just doing covers and acting ridiculous and dressing like guys from the 80s. So we said, why don't we do like, you know, uh, a, 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 a Southern rock version of that? Why not? So we're doing Fog Hat, Molly Hatchet, Skinner. You know, Steve Miller, all this stuff. And you're singing? I'm singing. Okay. But now we're in costumes. We got mustaches. Right. I mean, it was a lot of fun. My name was Dallas, Texas. My brother was Houston, Texas. That's funny. Our bass player was Florida Lee, who was uh, our cousin. And so two years in Vegas, we did really well. And I said, how did this happen again? I'm, I'm. Oh, there you are I'm again. I'm pretending I'm somebody else. I'm doing covers. And I'm, you got only so far. Well, I mean, we, we that could have kept going. But I'm, I'm making good money, but I don't want to be doing this. I want to be yeah. playing with the real guys. And so there was an event. There was a venue outside, and Quiet Riot and Dokken played out there. And afterwards, they came in, and they mm. jammed with us. And Frankie Benali played drums. I sang. We did Immigrant Song and Sean McNabb, from, uh, who's in Quiet Riot, but he's also in uh, Dokken. He played bass, and I said, this, this, like I'm playing with the guys, yeah, yeah, the real the guys. Dudes. And so that was a turning point. So then I... I left that and then just said, okay, what do I got to do? You know, mm. How do I do this? And uh, I, had, I realized I had no idea, which was a great place to be. Because mm. you don't have to undo anything in your mind. You're just starting. Yeah. Starting fresh. Yeah. And, 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 and I didn't have any mm. answers. So I, I, I started asking questions, which I don't think I honestly had ever done. You know, like if I was around somebody else, I would, I would talk to them and not just talk about myself, but I wouldn't say, how did you do this? How did this happen? I you see. I, I don't think I was even curious, huh. you know, which I think, look, in the beginning when you're young, that's fine. You're just sure. focused on your thing and you're a freight right. train. But 
for me, I was 38, 39. I really, you know, it's like, this isn't really working, man. You know, you kind of keep. So that's the shift is just realizing that at that point that to get to the next thing, you had to be an apprentice again. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess if you think about it, because I think your experiences like mine is we started off as apprentices playing with older people, right? That's kind of how you got your start. I was the youngest guy in a band. Yeah, me too. Still, all, everything I've ever done, I've been Mr. Big Ace, all those things. I'm, mm. I'm the youngest guy. Yeah. Well, then I guess what you're saying, then you just, you kind of start over mm-hmm. and, and remember what it was like to be starting out. Like you say, being the, the youngest or the one who knows the least. Right. That's a good position to be in. Yeah. It wasn't comfortable for me, but when I had that shift, then I was, I wanted to be that guy. Gotcha. So if I found, if I found myself in a room with guys like at my level or, or I was like the, you know, the most successful guy, I go, Oh, you know, this is fine, but I want to, want to get, I want to be in the other room. Yeah. I want to get around the guys. I found myself, you know, one point I found myself in a circle with Chad Smith from Chili Peppers and Kenny Aronoff from everything and Greg Bissonette and, uh, I can't remember who the other guy was. Oh, Stephen Perkins from Jane's wow. Addiction. And I, did, I didn't know what to do with my hands. Mm. I was going, should I put him in my stand like this? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and I looked at Kenny, and he had his hands in his pocket. So I go, all right, I'll do that. And wow. I said, and now, it was fine. We were all talking. Right, but right. I was clearly aware of like, okay, I'm in a circle with guys. And yeah, yeah. The wealth of experience yeah. that they've had is just Gee, amazing, you know? How did that, where, what room, what's does that circumstance that's heavy. Yeah, that was an event. I think that was, um, I think that was, uh, there's an artist named Beth Hart, who's an amazing okay. singer. And um, kind of long story. But anyway, she was doing a couple songs at this event. And, and I rehearsed with her to get these songs together. But Chad Smith was going to play drums. Oh. So we did Changes, the Sabbath tune. And then we did one of her songs. And... The day of her manager, Dave, called me and said, how far are you from downtown? And I was like, I was about to leave my wife. I go, go get my stick back. I go, I could be there in like 20 minutes. He goes, because Chad's stuck in traffic and Beth doesn't want to play with someone unless she's done sound checks. So basically kind of whoever gets here first. So I got an Uber and I, I just said, just drive as fast as you can, you know. And I, I got to beat Chad Smith. Right. <laughs> and I got there and they were like halfway through the first verse. Oh, but you know, I was, I was like, you know, they knew that you made the effort came down. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry. I go, look, it's fine. And me and Chad hung out all afternoon and it was just a great experience, you know? And, and, and it was interesting because yeah, I, I, of course I wanted to play, but I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the room. Yeah. 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 You're in the mix. The fact that you're even considered, that's a step forward. Mm. You know, I like, you know, I do coaching and a lot of times guys will, you know, try for something. And then they go, yeah, I called the guy, but it, it didn't happen. I go, no, no, no. He called you back. That's good. Yeah. Right. Cause there's a time in your life when they wouldn't have called you back. I gotcha. You know, so you got to think about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you sent one thing to Chapman, right. You've been like, oh, well I did that. It didn't work. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. It's just it, with that thing, it's never assume anything. Cause if I call somebody and they don't call, they don't call back, you figure, you know, they don't want to talk to me. I got they, you. Yep. Maybe they're selling their house and they're just really focused. Interesting. On, like, just don't assume anything until someone says, hey, I got your thing. I'm not interested. Please don't call me. Until <laughs> I hear that, right. I'm going to keep going. Interesting. But being polite and not sending 20 messages, but just consistently right. sending messages. 
Well, out. isn't it funny though, being because I'm this. I think we're similar in this way. You being like a rock and roll expert of your, you know, turf. You knew you weren't just looking for a producer. You knew Mike Chapman. You're like, this is going to be. He's going to enjoy. You know, it's like yeah. you you were bringing him something too, right? As opposed to just like, oh, I need somebody. You're like, this could be a Mike Chapman production because you, like you said, you see the line, the succession, and you go, I could be here. Yeah. Because because you know it. Because you're familiar with him. Yeah, I mean, he... he, so, he th so you had something to offer, is what I'm saying. You know, rather than going to Mike Chapman and going, I need... You're, you're, you're like, hey, you know that he'll... He would love to do this. Yeah. He'll get it right away. Yeah. And clearly he, did. And he, com you know, he thanked me a few times, like, you got me out of retirement. Because he had lived in Los Angeles for many years. And then when he had kids, he realized I got to get out of sure. LA. So they moved to Connecticut and, and his son. That's how I hooked up. We'll talk about Danny Cooch is the same yeah. thing. He came here to raise his kids and that's when I got involved. Right. Right. It happened. I guess Connecticut, I guess. Yeah. In a way, right. There is some sort of connection. It's funny how, yeah. I mean, that story just keeps circling back to Connecticut. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then exactly. Uh, so a lot of, lot of coffee talks, a lot of hanging out with guys, sure. sending messages. I made a list of the guys whose careers I liked, and most of them were in L.A., so I just I would go to their drum clinics. I would go wherever I could find them, you know, and waited in line to talk to them, mm -hmm. and people were signing stuff, and I'd wait till the end of the line because I just didn't want to get a signature to take a picture. Sure. I'd wait till everyone was gone, and then I'd, you know, hey, I want to talk wow. to you. And... um. Yeah, and guys are really generous with their time. Kenny Aronoff was one of those guys. Jason Sutter was another guy. And, uh, you know, I got, I had these almosts. Like, I started going in these jams. Mm -hmm. And this one jam, there was nobody there. It would be like five people. It was so dead that they had one night said, hey, do you sing? And I go, yeah, could you sing? I said, okay. So I sang some Zeppelin. Yeah. So, you know, I just did anything. Yeah. And Sean McNabb, bass player, uh, who was with Dokken at that time, he said, uh, I go, what are, you, what are you up to? And he goes, oh, I, I Gary Sharon from Extreme is going to do a, a run in Asia. So me and John Levin, who's in Dokken, and uh, Mick Brown, who was a drummer, we're going to be his band. I said, oh, that's cool. And I went home, I told my wife, I said, that's like I want that, like with one of the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next time I saw him, he goes, hey, remember that thing I told you about? And I'm going, well, yeah, that's all I've been thinking about. Yeah, since yeah, you yeah. Told me. He goes, would you be interested in that? And I said, yeah, why? He goes, I don't, you know, I don't know if Mick's going to be able to do it. So we rehearsed at John's apartment and it was, it's extreme music. So it's, it's, it's pretty involved. Yeah. So there was a lot of rehearsals and you know, there was two promoters in uh, South Korea that were promoting it. One was promoting it as extreme. Oh. So, so he's taken all these advances and he ends up fleeing the country. It's like this national scandal. Oh wow! So that gets that gets canceled, but there's still this festival, this four day festival in China. We're going to headline, and so, like a week before Gary's supposed to come to L.A., there's massive flooding and it wipes out the entire grounds. So it's it's act of God canceled. So then, okay, well Gary, now that you know Gary's kind of thinking about playing, he really wants to do a tour. So we're going to put together a U.S. run. I go, okay, great. Then Nuno is playing with Rihanna. He's off with her now. Extreme is getting back to work. Gary's not good. So it was like, uh, 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 
But again, I had to keep in mind, like, I'm in the mix. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? I mean, it's something. Like, it's an almost, but it's like, right. it's real. Right. And you don't know who any of those people along that chain. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah so that, and, mm. and, uh, and then I, I played drums with an artist, uh, Jason Sutter. We okay. got the gig with Marilyn Manson and he was playing with this artist, Laura Wilde, and they were opening for Ted Nugent. And he said, I can't do this run. Can you do it? So mm. I did that. And then shortly after that, I ended up finding out about Ace and, okay. and then got that gig. And that was my first, you know, first one. So talk about getting the Ace gig. How, what was that all about? <clears throat> so Jason called me and goes, hey, listen, I just heard that. Ace Frehley's drummer left. He goes, that'd be perfect for you, man. Like that's you. I know you're a Kiss fan. You'd be great. And I go, oh, okay. And I'm waiting yeah. for him to say, so I'll call it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then there's this huge pause. He goes, I mean, I can't call. I'm not. I can't call anyone. But I, you should find out. And I said, okay, cool. No worries. I know how to do this. I yeah, right. Everyone I had met at that jam, talked to a guy named Brent Woods, who's uh, with Sebastian Bach now, and he said, I know Anthony, the bass player. And he goes, you'd be great. He goes, you'd be awesome for that gig. So I'm going to call him. And and someone had given me Anthony's number. And I, I now I would just call. But I said, yeah, right. I, I was waiting for Brent. I said, well, I got the number. He goes, I'll find it, dude. I'll, I'll find it and I'll, I'll text you back. So one day, two day, three day. Every day I'm texting Brent. I don't want to bug him because I kind of don't really know him. Yeah, yeah. Finally, the third day he goes, I got the number. I'm going to call him. And I just called Anthony. I said, hey, you know, Brent's going to call you or he did call you. But anyway, I just want And, um. Yeah, we talked a little bit, and then two weeks later, I flew to New York. Mm-hmm. And, I remember that. And I, uh, we rehearsed. We uh, we played Love Gun. I can't remember what else we did, but it was just me and Anthony and Todd Youth, who was a guitar player, so Ace okay. wasn't there. But um, we went through a few songs. Did you know? Of course, you knew every song, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I practiced all the live versions. Mm. You know, so mm-hmm. I knew kind of how they did it. But Todd is uh, was a very New York cat. So he walks in, goes, hey, I'm Todd. Plugs in, turns on Marshall on 10. And it was this, it was a house kid. It was at the Gibson showroom. So they had Slingerlands. So they were Slingerlands, which is cool, but they were small. And there was no mics on the drums. And I'm used to being really loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was actually in the old uh, hit factory. So oh, wow. We're, so we're in a tracking room, but it's not like <laughs> super loud. It's controlled because it's, it's acoustically tuned. So I couldn't hear my drums. We played like three songs and Todd goes, all right, cool. I got to go. Nice meeting you, dude. And I remember thinking, all right, that's good. Cause, cause I know New York. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I, I just felt like he heard enough. This guy's fine. And he left. And wow. then a couple of weeks later, I got a call. I got the gig wow. and, uh, and there you go. And they sent me the set list. I sent it to my buddy, Jurgen, who plays bass with uh, government mule. And he's a big kiss fan. And I said, I go, here's the set list. And he writes back, F you. Because yeah, right. Like, this is your job. You know, it's ridiculous. It's That's just crazy. All Kiss and Ace songs. Yeah, man. So that was, you know, that was the start. So of that. what was it like the first time meeting Ace? What was that? What was that day like? We had re- we had five days of rehearsal scheduled. First day we just set up, hung around. Ace wasn't there. Second day we played through half of the set. Next day we played through the other half. Fourth and fifth day, Ace shows up. So fourth day comes, we're sitting outside. And he's walking down the sidewalk like in one of the videos. It's just, I mean, he's got this walk. He's got a guitar case. And his guitar tech runs up to him, grabs the case. And he goes, hey, you must be the new drummer. I go, yeah. He goes, hey, good to meet you. We went in. Imagine if he was Kiss Alive 2 Ace Freely. Like you look and 
You smoke. <laughs> everything. Platforms. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's what I saw, actually. <laughs> that would be awesome. And, yeah, we went in there, and, you know, he's playing. And it's just, it's surreal because it's like, I know this guy's playing. I've been yeah. playing his records. Yep. But, like, he's right there. Yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, he started playing God of Thunder, which we don't do. It's a Gene Simmons song. But I started playing drums, and when the when the verse came, he just kind of looked at me, so I started singing. <laughs> and we went through Whoa. about half of it, you know. But I was just like, yeah, this is just a trip. Wow. No one else in the band sings? Uh, they, di- they did, yeah. They all. But he just somehow knew he you. He just went sing, yeah. Because part of the gig was I had to sing all the Paul Stanley songs. Oh, wow. You know, which, again, going back to that jam that was so dead, they asked me to sing. Brent they, ended I up seeing just never me sing. Know. So, yeah, you just. So, in, in their minds, oh, he's a singer, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I hear you. And uh, first day we did about half. And he goes, all right, this, yeah, we're good. I remember thinking, like, <laughs> I don't want him to say anything to me. Right? Because if he has to stop, or I don't want to talk. You know what I mean? We got through one song. After the second song, he just gave me a thumbs up. And we did a few more songs. He goes, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Next day we came and we did a few more. We didn't do the whole set. Wow. And, but, but I just said, you know, he's played these songs a million times. He trusts me. He's like, this guy's fine. We're right. Gonna be, we're going to be fine. Right. So first gig was New York City, uh, Times Square. Yep. Uh, I was there. Yeah, you yeah, were we there. we all came down. Yep. That's by theater. I don't know what it's called. Nokia Live, I think it's called now. And, um, you know, Anton Fig was there, who, you know, David Letterman drummer, but sure. had played on all Aces records. Yep. And uh, the day before... Again, Todd with the New York attitude. We they'd open up with a song called Rocket Ride, which is pretty straight sure. ahead. Yep. I was like, cool. There's a song called Rip It Out, which is on Ace's solo yep. record. It's got these crazy drum sure. fills, yep. Anton Fig. So he goes, you know, we've been opening with that for a long. We should open up with Rip It Out. You're cool with that, right, dude? Oof. And I knew he oh. was just he was just throwing. I said, yeah, sure. I'm like, oh man. So oh, you know, God. first night. New York, my parents are there, you're there, half the my parents' church is there, Anton Fig is standing on the side of the stage, and, you know, away we go. It's nerve-wracking. Yeah. Yeah, well, you asked for it, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember the same things. Um, we probably talked about this, but, yeah, I was a Kiss fan, too, uh, when I was younger. I had a, um, I probably told you the story, but can you imagine this? I had an uncle, he was in the record business out in Chicago. Mm -hmm. He was like a local radio promo guy. So he would work for, you know, a record label and then go to the DJs and do whatever he did. And um, I knew that he was in the business, but I didn't know much about record labels. And like you, I'm listening to Kiss. What is, what's Casablanca mean? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, and you realize that's the record label that they're on, that that's the company. And next time I see... Uncle Jay, I go, hey, uh, do you work for Casablanca? You know, trying to be cool. And, and he's like, why? What do you want, Kiss Records? Mm, you know? Right. And I'm like, well, yeah. So what he used to do every, I don't know, couple times a year, the mailman would bring a box full of records, and he would just get random promos. Mm-hmm. And most of them were garbage. But he would just like, you know, whatever, put together a care package of records and send them to us, and that was our record collection. And I you know he's why what do you want kiss records i go yeah okay whatever and then the next package that came i opened it and it was all four solo kiss records boom 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 like all in a row he must have hooked up with a buddy 
mm-hmm. say, can you, can, can you get these can fall off the truck for my nephew and I'll give you these, whatever mm-hmm. he made it happen. I opened that box and in one day I got all four of them. I'm oh. like, Ooh, yeah. I don't have them now, but it had the poster. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know if anyone's a kiss fan, but kiss made four solo records and they had one quarter of a poster in each record. So you had to have all four records to assemble the big poster. Yep. It's a big day. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So rip it out. Track one, Ace yeah. Freely. You're like, right. ooh, okay. And wouldn't you say still, I mean, that's the best Kiss solo record, right? Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I enjoy, I actually enjoy Jeans in some weird kind of way, but whatever. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. Not, I love Paul's record. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, but a- Ace's is was was really good, and yeah, and I think because you'd only heard a couple songs from Ace before, right? So I think, you know, he surprised everybody. Yeah. with that. Yeah, and I think feel like he had something to prove. You know, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. So then what? We're going long, dude. You have enough film in the, up in there? Oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Just making sure. Asking the boss. Uh, so played. Did some shows, and um, he said to me, uh, you doing any recording? I said, uh, yeah. He goes, what kind of snare you got? I'm like, this dude's awesome. I said, I got oh. a Black Beauty. He goes, Ludwig? I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, because I'm going to be working on a new record. And uh, yeah, I thought, yeah, okay. So, I wonder what the wrong answer would be. Snare drum. Well, I, yeah, I won't. You know what I mean? I won't say I have friends at all the companies. Oh, no, no. I just wonder in Ace's mind, right. like, what what would you have said? We go, we're going to get someone else to do the record. Right, you know? yeah. I got, well, I got this 1920s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, or something. Which would sound awesome, too. You ever ask them someday, what would have been the wrong answer? Right. Just out of curiosity. Yeah. And uh, so we that was the beginning of recording together, you know, and we... That's cool. We tracked. We've done four records since then. Wow. And, uh, and that was cool. And that was an interesting thing because uh, he and I were just in there and there was no bass player. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, who's going to play bass? And he goes, ah, you know, I might play bass and, you know, um, maybe get some other guys, whatever. But uh, he goes, I, I always did my solo records like this. Oh. He goes, me and Anton would just. Right. Play, sure. You know, just sure. Like less things. Because he goes, when we do Kiss records, something would break. There would be a piece of gear. Somebody wouldn't have a good take. Yep. Or we'd have to do it 25 times. He goes, you know, I just, we would. Guitar, the, drums. Yeah, that's it. Two, three takes. Yeah. I think that's how Foo Fighters still do it too. Yep. Dave and Taylor, they just get through it and then, all right your bass part yeah or whatever yeah why not yeah and so one of the funny things that happened in that session was you know he's in the other room i can sort of see him through the glass but you know we're talking to imagine you don't see him then you look through the glass and it's ace it's kiss alive two ace freely in the studio riser and everything (laughs) that'd be awesome so we're talking and he goes all right you ready pete i go why he goes a P he goes, no, Matt. Sorry. He goes, what P? What am I talking? <laughs> all right. I go, yeah, cool. And so I'm like, get the, I go, all right, one, two. Wow. He just called me Peter Chris. One, Whoa. two, one, two, three. You know, because most of the recording oh. he's done was with a guy named Pete. There was nobody there named Pete. And I never heard him talk about a Pete ever. So that's crazy. Yeah. So that wow. Was, that was Imagine a, that. That was a trip. Huh? Maybe he was talking about Pete best. I don't know why he would be. That's yeah. Stupid. I don't know if anyone. That's heavy. Anyone you talk. ready, Pete? Yeah. You'd be like, yeah. And then you get all confused through your Mike Chapman thing. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, Steve. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> wow. That's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, pretty heavy. So that was the beginning of that. And then um, 
I, more jams, more jams, more jams, got up on a jam. Guy said, hey, he knew I sang. He goes, I'm kind of tired, buddy. Do you mind singing too? I was like, you lazy son. All right. So we did TNT and I sang and played drums and I got off stage and Billy Sheehan was there. And Billy goes, hey, you sounded great. He goes, who are you? And I, <laughs> and I said, you know, Matt Starr, blah, blah. And he goes, yeah, you, you really, you, you nailed it. This was great. Uh, I want to get your number. I don't want to lose you. So she wow. was, that was the beginning of that. And then I ran into him on the street with his wife, Elizabetta about a month later thinking like, I don't know if these guys were going to call me, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, Hey Matt, he goes, this is the guy I was telling you. He goes, Oh, the drummer. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. it's always the wives. That's what Chapman's wife too. Oh, you're the guy with. Right. The- yeah. So I was like, okay, he, you know, he, he mentioned me. That's cool. And, uh, you know, fast forward a year later. So Pat Torpy was always the drummer for Mr. Big and, uh, Pat had, well, so I didn't know anything. So Billy called me and said, Hey, listen, um, we might need some help on this tour. Pat might not be able to do all the shows. Would you be interested? I said, yeah, of course. So he goes, learn, uh, addicted to that rush and take cover. He goes, and let's get together and me and you play. He goes, I told the guys about you, but I want to hear you play Mr. Big stuff. Okay. I said, all right. Why Pat Torpy had health issues. Right. So, but uh, no, nobody knew that. Okay. All right. Okay. So sorry. I get in the room with him and he goes, so, um, he goes, I, I didn't really give you the full story. Okay. So our drummer, Pat, uh, has been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Oof. So I, I hadn't met Pat before and he goes, so, you know, we don't know how much he can play, but we need somebody to be there the whole, it's not a sure. couple shows. It's like the whole tour and we got to figure out who can play what and, and it was, you know, it was emotional for him. I'm hearing this. I don't, again, I hadn't, w- hadn't met Pat yet, but just, you know, fellow drummer and a, sure. an amazing drummer. And then, you know, Billy's, f- you know, friend and partner in crime for all those years. And then he goes, all right, so let's play. So again, it's like one of those things where it's like the, the emotion and the stuff, but then when it comes to time to play, you just gotta, you just gotta do, yeah, the, yeah. do the thing, you know? Yeah. And we played addicted to that rush. He goes, great. He goes, let's do the other one. We did that. He goes, okay, great. And again, that's what I want to hear. I don't want to do it again. Right. I don't want to hear. That was good. But if you can. Sure. He just. Great. And I'm sure I didn't play him perfectly, but like he heard what he needed to hear. And uh, yeah, so it was a few, probably about a month or more after that. um, He said, let's get in a room with the band. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I got there early and then Pat walked in and he goes, hey, I'm Pat. And we just hugged each other and we just started talking. He goes, yeah, you know, I'm I'm sure you know what's going on. And we talked a little bit, talked drums, you know, and then the rest of the guys filed in. And uh, Eric Martin, the singer, who he came in, he had a shirt, had a bunch of stormtrooper helmets with kiss makeup, which. Like, this is going to work out. Yeah, which is like that. I mean, Eric has lots of shirts, but he wore that shirt. You know what I mean? That day. And that's that's Eric, you know, like. Yeah, a little support. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, so we played uh, a few songs. I think the first one was Green Tinted 60s Mind, and just as soon as we started, it just sounded good. I could just go, this feels great. And we finished, and it was like, down. And everyone was like, like, "Uh uh-oh. I thought this sounded good. I'm like, what's going on? Uh -uh. We did our song. Same thing. Billy looked over and goes, great job. I'm thinking, Jesus, this is not yeah, right. like, these, am I not, am I, these guys like so sophisticated that I'm missing something? Yeah, right, right. And then I realized, Pat's sitting here watching us rehearse, 
these guys are realizing that this is real. Like we're oh. going to play with someone who's not Pat. And Pat's sitting there and, and Tim, their manager. Right. So they're not going to go, oh my God, this is right. great. You know? Yeah. And so it was a very Ooh. somber yeah, you yeah. Know, thing. Yeah, yeah. And again, it just like, I learned so much humility from that gig, but I, I knew even when he told me at the, at that first run through, I'm like, I'm the right guy for this. You know, like drumming wise, I know I can do this, but just I'm the right person for this. Cause I know I can handle this and, and be respectful. Right. But also go out there and, and, you know, tear it up when I have yep. to. And so that was, that was just, that whole experience was beyond a gig or, you know, yeah, yeah. You're like in the band. family. Yeah. And Pat and I became, uh, you know, really good friends. We had a great time. We'd every day, you know, I'd wake up, text him Starbucks. He'd be like, yep. See you in five minutes. You know, we'd go down there and, uh, yeah, it was great. I and mean, we went around the world a few times, played Budokan. Mm -hmm. Hey, yep. twice. Yeah. And, wow. uh, you know, yeah, I just, I, that was a, that was a whole other thing, you know. Gee whiz. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Did you record with them? I did. We did a record in 2017 called Defying Gravity. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was another experience that was cool because it was, just, it was decided I was going to play all the drums, but I had Pat in the control. So they, I didn't hear any of the songs. So they'd maybe pass songs around, but I hadn't heard anything, which was fine. I'm used to that, you know with ace but so they go it goes like this and then i'd be sitting there tapping on my legs and i'd be doing some stuff pat be sitting next to me and then i go yeah i'm thinking for this that and he go yeah maybe like a thing in here and yeah okay cool and i go out and play so i'm playing and you know what it feels like but you got someone in the control room <clears throat> listening so we would do a couple run-throughs and i'd come in and we'd listen and then pat would already have heard it twice so he'd say that was really cool there. Maybe if you went to the ride on this part, that would yeah, be yeah, a right. nice change. And and so we really like worked the parts out together. So he it was his he had his voice was represented in a way. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. hope he would feel that's that cool. way. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So that was and I thought this is a I go, this is a cool gig. I go, drum producer. Right? Imagine so, I mean, that. Imagine that. So you go do a record and you can hire Jim Keltner to just sit in the control room. And right and, like and go give you feedback you know? that'd be kind of cool yeah wow yeah that's heavy that's heavy um off off the subject i don't know what what reminded me of this but talking about being in the studio pressure weird situations i don't know if i if i ever told you this story but this is funny i had so the meters yeah uh new orleans funk pretty much invented it back in the day and um vic Vic Steffens down in uh, West Haven. He calls me one day. He's like, hey, can you play Sissy Strut by the meters? And I'm like, yeah. It's like a funk standard that yeah, we all. Yeah. I said, yeah. He goes, well, can you be here, you know, tomorrow morning at nine or whatever and play Sissy Strut for a recording? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And he's like, with Leo, the guitar player of the meters is going to be here. <laughs> and he's making an instructional video and we need, you, we need someone to play drums. We need to lay the tracks down. So I'm just like, yeah, sure. I'm th just thinking, you know, right away, I'm like, I don't know. I'm a dude from Wallingford. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I don't know if I could throw down with the meters guy. And so I get there and I meet him and everything's cool. I go out into the studio and the way, I don't know if he did this on purpose, but the way Vic has the drum set up is my back is to the glass. <laughs> so I'm like, they're behind the glass. Yeah, Leo's in, in the booth playing. I think he might've played bass first or guitar but anyway we're like run it down so like i'm playing not 
getting any reaction. You know, like you're just thinking, at least if I could see, right. I could realize if I'm on the right track or not at all. I'm just like trying my best to play, just imagining what's going on behind me. You know, we're playing and I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, doing, running through a few things and we're done. And then that's the thing in the studio, no talk back. Right. So you just get done and there's nothing. And I don't want to be like, to right. turn around. I'm just yeah. like sitting there like, I wonder, and then, you know, Vic, just after a minute, sounds great. Come on in. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, I don't even know if I, and it turns out he, he liked my playing, but I just talk about nerve wracking. You're oh, yeah. it's just like with my, I can't even see him. So I can't even get, a, I can't even, if it was even a bad reaction, I would change what I was doing. Right. I'm just like, I don't know. I have no idea. Oh, God, that, that, so that silence in the studio yeah man, when the I'm, worst when i'm producing bands it's like they finish i go that was great that was great yeah because you remember what that feels like you second. get on the talk back right yeah, away give me a second you know or if there is a problem go that was great hang on a second we got a thing with the computer yeah I, do you like what he's doing that pattern i don't know if that's working okay let's figure that okay yeah. hey listen i got an idea you know but yeah because you're you imagine in that silence hey man you know any other drummer yeah yeah what's call? up with that dude yeah. yeah where'd you get this guy oh god no, it ended up being okay. I mean, I I get I left and then you know, hey man, you know, cool. And then Vic called me and he goes, "You did a great job. He loved you." Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, but you know, you're just thinking with no react without even seeing. You're just like expecting the worst. Yeah, of course. I could feel the heat on the back of my neck. I'm just like, oh no. Yeah, yeah, and that's all the stuff you gotta, you know that right. that that's the professional musician thing. Like anyone can have a good night. But to have a a, a, mm. a really good night every night, and then sometimes you have a spectacular night, you know that's that's a whole other thing. And it's not, we know how to play the drums or play guitar or sing or whatever. But it's like, can you do with the travel and you got no time and you just had a fight with your girlfriend and a thing and you're hungry and then someone is fighting with someone in the band and then you know blah blah blah, and you got to go out and deliver and it's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I got my moments. That's, I don't know if I would have functioned at that level to be a hundred percent honest with you. I'm a, I don't know. How do you put it? I would have cracked under that kind of pressure. I think I need to be fed in a timely manner. I guess. <laughs> right, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Fair I enough. No, idea. no. Yeah. No, that that's rough, man. I hear you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that that's what, that's what, why you get the, uh, why you get the calls, you know, you got to be able to do that stuff. It's heavy. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's that's, that, that's probably the probably the biggest part. I mean, I don't want to downplay any no, abilities, right. but it's yeah. I think that's, that's right. A, a lot of people thing. can play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. And so, what are you up to lately? What's the story now? So lately, uh, well, you know, we haven't done any traveling in the last right. year. Or so um, we've been here back east and. Uh, which is nice having time with the family. I, yep. I mean, everyone I talk to is like, dude, I haven't been home as much in my life, mm. you know, and which is great. I mean, I have two kids. Yep. I like, I like my wife. So it's, it's cool being, I home. like your wife. Yeah. 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 I like yours too. <laughs> <laughs> Good kid. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so that's been cool. I've been able to do, you know, a lot of session work, mm -hmm. which is, which is great. I feel like everybody is either like, we should get Tracy up in here. Actually, yeah, I'm, compiling the yeah. list in my head yeah tracy. mr tracy walton yeah. has a studio yeah on decks uh sound studios where i do all my drums yep and um yeah that that's been great and um you know everything is for me a lot of stuff has been remote for like the last five years right you know so so you're already 
set up. Yeah, I know, I know the logistics and, you know, how to do like the consultation and, and make it, the artists feel like they're connected because, you yep. know, they're in two different places. And um, so that's been good. I feel like everybody's either like, I'm going to put an addition on my kitchen or I'm going to do a record. Right. Now's so, the time. Yeah. Yep. So, I hear you. So doing that and producing a couple of bands in New York, guys that I was actually talking about doing remotely, but now we can do it in person. So that's, that's cool. That's been good. Right. And then uh, doing my coaching work, which has kind of always been remote. Okay. You want to talk about that? Well, I get, yeah, that kind of got born out of, uh, you know, like what I said about my kind of long trajectory of, of, of having like the fundamental elements, but not having it come together. And I, you know, I just saw so many guys that were going through the same thing, you know, and um, doing clinics. Most of the questions were like, how did you get the gig with so-and-so? And I felt like they weren't looking for a story. They were actually asking, how can I get a gig like that? Gotcha. You know, and I said, you know what? I can talk drums and I, you know, I love drums sure. and all that. But I think like the most valuable thing I can share is, is this stuff that they clearly don't know. Gotcha. You know? And, uh, and then that just kind of turned into rather than lessons, just doing coaching. And then that's branched out beyond musicians and just to, you know, anyone who's, you know, really looking to essentially getting your mind and your emotions in line with your goals and seeing what that gap is and closing that gap. Mm, that's interesting. And you say probably not a lot of people in the, the business, they just go where. So would you say it's got to be one or the other, right? Extremes. It's like some people are just at the mercy of whatever. And they end up where they end up or they're focused. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And, and, and look, I've met plenty of people who are successful and they're crazy, mm-hmm. you know? And I look at that person, I go, but, but he's doing some stuff, right? What is he doing? Right. Cause yeah, there's right. a common thread right. between all these guys. Mm-hmm. You meet all kinds of different personalities. Some seem easy to get along with others seem like they'd kind of be a handful, mm-hmm. but they managed to have careers. And so like, what's that common thread? Mm. That's, I did a lot of that, that first year when I was just meeting with as many people as I could. You figured it out. Asking a lot of questions. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. All right. Do you have any plans, concrete plans to go back to LA or just whatever? You don't know, but you can work remotely now. I can work remotely. Uh, you know, there's talk of some tour dates in the fall. Cause you, didn't you move, sorry to interrupt, but. Before this happened, you move, You started to move. You moved out of, you were like, I don't need to work Hollywood. I don't need to work. I don't need to pound the pavement in Hollywood anymore to get gigs. Yeah. You were kind of like, you yeah. could live where you want and still kind of keep your career going. Yeah. we. I mean, I, my, I, I didn't want my kids to have to step over homeless people when we were going for a walk to the park was more the motivation. But Sure. And then there was that, that concern, like, yeah, if I'm not in Hollywood, is that going to make a difference? You know, it, it you got to the point where it was fine. Yeah. And we moved up to a town called Oak Park, which is about 30 minutes north. Okay. But, you know, great schools. Yeah. You could drink the water out of the tap. I mean, it was, you know, it was like Connecticut. It was nice. Yeah. Yeah. So That's we cool. did that. And then we moved back in September. Yeah. And um, don't yeah. drink the water out of the tap here, dude. Yeah. We got the Brita back out. <laughs> <laughs> but we've uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, it's just a matter of, of like when. And when the timing's right, you know, um, but we'll see with work. I mean, look, if I get something where I'm like gone a certain amount and I'm like, that's good for the year. I'm cool. It's flying out of Bradley's a lot of years of than LAX. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I can imagine. So, um, I think we're, we're going to have to do this again because we went long. 
we didn't get to any good stuff. That's but is not how all our <laughs> conversations go. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I think we're yeah we're we're kind of a little we're we're long. I don't want to run out. I don't want to run out. So, can you do this again? Yeah. Okay. Let's um let's figure out how to do this again. He'll he'll give me a key. We can come. We'll come here. Come back at three a.m. We'll sure. do we'll do part two yeah, later. We'll go to Burger King. Yeah, yeah, whatever. We'll figure it out. But you know what we should. Can you move this up to Bolarama? You ever go to Bolarama up on the pike? Because that's where we used to meet when me and Matt were doing gigs together. Yeah. We talk about the set list for the weekend. He Bolarama is a bowling alley. I guess it's still it was twenty four hours. It's yeah, it's still there. And he it was a halfway kind of point. He'd be like, You wanna meet me at Bolarama around midnight? We'd talk about the set. Oh, okay. We'd be the only ones there. Yeah. We'd I, go up, roll a few. Talk about, I don't know, what do, you, what do you think we should open with? I don't know. Yeah, spend $10 playing all the ACDs yep, the jukebox. on the jukebox. Yep. Funny. All right, we got to do this again because I didn't get to ask any. Now we are now we know who you are. I don't. Well, we'll play it back <laughs> and you'll find out. Cliff notes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we'll do, let's do this again. Yeah, let's. You know, sooner, later, whatever. But we got it. We now we got to get into it. Yeah. And all right. So you know what? Let's leave it at that for now. Is that okay? Yeah. All right. To be continued, part two. This is Matt Starr, ladies and gentlemen. Rock from Rocky Hill, originally. Uh, 06067. There you go. All right. I'm John Peckman. This was the John Peckman Podcast. Coming to you from Connecticut Valley School of Music and Dance in Portland, Connecticut, just over the bridge. Look left. We will see you again next time. Thanks a lot. Look for us on YouTube, right? Possibly. Okay. I'll see you. Adios. Bye.